Welcome back to episode five of the Web3 show. I'm back with uh, the wannabe wizards of Web3. My name's Luca, the front man, as usual, coming at you and bringing with me Galactic Q um, out from the Winelands in South Africa, somewhere remote. He's been battling to get signal over the past few days. Uh, and your guy in TradFi, as usual, coming from the undisclosed boardroom location. And uh, yeah, obviously, we have to address the elephant in the room before we dive in. Um, it's great to be back, and it feels way too long. You might be wondering, why on earth are we doing this show today on a Wednesday? We usually, we've promised for Mondays, but yeah, this is uh, this is now Wizards Wednesday. Um but yeah, I mean, on, on Monday, we, we had some uh, technical difficulties. Uh, we have to address the elephant in the room. Uh, your guy in TradFi, Luca, did you um, did you get to uh, Norway safely, brother? Um, Luca had some issues with traveling and uh, got a bit stuck. Are you all uh, are you all set up nicely in Norway? Good, pod- good yeah. podcasting setup now. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Luca. It was the <laughs> it was the, the COVID uh, issues which got me hung up, and the fact that it was basically an Arctic blizzard uh, when, I, <laughs> when I walked out of the airport, uh, and we we tried to fit um, my bicycle into the car, which which wasn't working. Um, <laughs> it was it was a bit of a nightmare, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm safe at home now from my uh, podcasting studio. But you got there in the end, and you're here now. That's all that matters. And back, back ready for back episode five. Anyway, we're catching up the episode anyway. <laughs> back, back, so back in Wall Street, fine. back in Wall Street, ready to lock in some trade by trades there. Yes. Oh, that's or, it. That's oil it. and gold, the only assets that matter. <laughs> and and short shorting Twitter long Amazon right after after Jack left. Yeah, not sure about that trade, but. Also, uh, on other personal news, we, we need to congratulate Galactic Q because uh, he just had a successful uh, private sale of his NFT project, which he's been building quietly for the past month. So round of applause for Galactic Q. I know you've been uh, killing yourself the past few weeks. So I'm um, still, you know, must must say on, you know, on a public forum. Well done on that, getting over the line. Um, huge stuff to come. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to. Uh, you'll have to give the audience a rundown at, of that at some point. Um, but yeah, well done on that, brother. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. It was a, it was a crazy week leading up to the pre-sale. Uh, now head down and focusing on public mint coming up in a few weeks. That's it. Well, you know, it was also a crazy. It was also a crazy week in the markets. Um, and Galactic Q, I'm going to have to uh, get you up. Get you up here again. What on earth? has been happening in the markets for the past week and a half. I know we had the huge crash, Bitcoin sitting currently below 50K. What on earth has happened? Because, I, uh, you know, we had a, we had that pullback you you covered a, a week or two ago. And maybe there were a few people who thought that was the last of it before the bull run over the new year. But give us the rundown of what actually happened. Yeah, so I mean, what you'll recall a few weeks ago is, you know, we spoke about this pullback that's, that the market needed. Um, and ultimately, that was a push down to that 53K level. 
Um, but one thing that was a sort of a warning sign still flashing was that leverage in the market was still too high. So ultimately, you know, we had this pullback. A lot of people called the bottom and started DCAing in. But then we had the additional flash crash down to 42,000, which is what we saw over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. And ultimately, this was largely a leverage shakeout. And I think there was over $2.5 billion worth of uh, leverage logs liquidated. So it was, it was quite a leverage shakeout, and it was something that the market needed. But right now, we do sit below our macro bull structure. So we are sitting in a bit of murky waters. We have put in a higher low. So things are still bullish, um, but we are sitting in a bit of a, a red zone, I would say. Um, leading forward. So right now, I'm short-term short and medium-term short on the market. Um, but one thing I do want to make a note about is that the dominance with the crash crashed as well. And what usually means when Bitcoin dominance falls is that altcoins are sitting strong. So people were clearly backing layer ones, um, namely Ethereum, Solana, uh, Terra Luna ripped to new all-time highs. Um, so it was interesting to see that the market, even though we had this huge liquidation shakeout, the, the strong hands were still supporting the bigger alternative currencies. Um, and if you look at those on-chain metrics, you'll notice that it was new buyers that were shaken out of the market. So wallets created within the last three months that were the main capitulators during this flash crash. So, yeah. Yeah. John T. No, just a, just a question, you know, one of the, obviously one of the big issues, uh, well, I guess warning signs were the crazy kind of uh, valuations of like gaming projects, kind of very risky altcoins projects that they don't even have a working product, um, obviously as kind of an indicator of markets being overheated. Do you, do you feel like these have come down a bit? Are we kind of entering more realistic valuations for low cap alts or, or do you think there's still uh, more, more blood needs to flow? I think more blood needs to flow. Um, we're still seeing a lot of gaming projects with crazy, crazy multi-million dollar valuations where they've got no product to show for. So I do still feel that there's a degree of overheatedness in the markets. And I do think we're going to probably see some consolidation down, especially on a macro scale for Bitcoin, down to that 42K level again before we bounce. And with this, I think we do need to see a much greater bleed in the metaverse and gaming space as we did to see one crazy run up. And I mean, we saw Sandbox and a lot of those big metaverse players have huge 30, 40% dips or flash dips uh, over this last crash. And I think that's just kind of an indicator. And one thing you can do when you pull up a chart anywhere on Binance, on TradingView, on KuCoin, wherever you're trading, look where the longest wick was. And that's usually an indicator to where we consolidate down to before we bounce. So that being said, I do see some more red in the red in the streets before we before we turn bullish again. Forty two k for Bitcoin. Forty two k for Bitcoin. So I see us pulling back down anywhere between forty five to forty two before we have a have a proper bounce and see some confidence return to the market. But that being said, again, dominance is going down. We doubt we're crashing currently on dominance again, back down to that forty percent level for Bitcoin, which is showing that altcoins are starting to take more rain. And one interesting thing to see is Ethereum actually maintained its macro bullish structure where Bitcoin has lost its macro bullish structure on the daily. So altcoins could be seeing a bit more relief uh, once we bounce ahead of Bitcoin. 
Luca, you, you're trying to uh, line up your trades for the next few days, hey? The TradFi trades. <laughs> I actually bought a bunch of phantoms. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm dollar-cost averaging in on the way down. <laughs> I, not financial yeah, not advice. Financial not advice. financial I, advice. I, I, didn't, I didn't quite buy the top. <laughs> I bought the dip. And then the classic in crypto is like, you get a crash. Everyone shouts, buy the dip. You buy the dip. Love and that. then the next day, there's another dip. And then there's a crash again. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that, that was a similar phenomenon to what we had earlier this year before we had that crazy pullback we all loaded it on the dip and then the dip happened <laughs> yeah literally but, was... but just just a um, note, but guys, yeah, thanks thanks Yoki, just a sorry. note before before Go we carry on is is what one thing i can say when we enter these periods where bitcoin's lost its bullish structure and closed a couple daily candles below you know, we do see some pullback and slow bleed down to those levels where we originally whipped to, to solidify the higher low. So while we're still bullish, you know, people usually pull out of the market and focus on altcoins. But what we can see is altcoins are kind of bleeding as well. So there's one asset class that shines when we get a market structure like this. And it's one asset class we've seen shine when we've had previous similar fractals to what we've seen over the weekend. And that's the NFT space. So just something to keep an eye on. Cool. Thanks, Q. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week, hopefully on Monday for the next market update. <laughs> um, probably, hopefully not m- more of the same, uh, not more short-term pain, hopefully. Because I feel like we've just been reporting like bare, bare market stuff over the past three weeks. So hopefully a change in that coming soon. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, guys, let's dive into the main topic for this week. So, Basically, we decided that, you know, since Jack and Twitter and Square have basically been stealing the headlines over the past couple of weeks, um, you know, obviously we covered it quite closely. Uh, Jack and TBD, the TBD division dropping the, the, the TBDEX white paper a couple of weeks ago. We mentioned that, um, you know, Jack leaving Twitter. We mentioned that. I mean, the headlines with Twitter and Jack and and Square just kept on coming in because later, late last week, Square then renames itself to Block. So given all of this stuff that's going on, we just thought that let's actually give some time to Square, TB, and obviously Jack, uh, Jack Dorsey mixed in with all of that. And we thought, uh, we did mention sort of uh, Luca ran ran you through a brief overview, a brief outline of the TBDEX white paper that was released um, a couple of weeks ago. And we just thought we'd dive deeper into that this week just to, you know, give you a rundown. We've all read the white paper, synthesized it. And we thought you'd, we'd give it, a, give it a run through so that you don't have to read it yourself potentially, or you can read it having some primed, uh, knowledge already. So diving straight into it, um, Luca, I know you you sort of outlined it last week, the concept of it, but I thought it would be valuable and, you know, we can chat about this in just like setting the scene around this white paper. Like what is the context that it's been released in for you guys? Because for me, what struck out at me was when I read it in detail, they basically mentioned the first thing they mentioned was the Bitcoin white paper that was released all the way back in 2008. Basically premising that 
what the Bitcoin white paper promised was a way for people to permissionlessly transfer value to and from economic participants, irrespective of where they are, what color they are, what gender they are. Um, and that system is essentially censorship resistant. And obviously, you know, that's the, that's the idea. That's the broad vision. Obviously, over the past 10 years, we've seen people buy into that vision and believe in that vision. And, you know, we, we obviously still have a long way to go before that vision is truly realized sort of highlighted by the fact that we still have to go through centralized exchanges to purchase Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. So would you guys um, sort of setting the scene for the white paper, would you sort of agree? Is there anything else you want to add in there? Just setting the context for where this comes, maybe touching on like the current DeFi ecosystem as it is right now, just to give people of idea of an idea, like sort of an idea where this, where this, a decentralized exchange is going to actually sit in the crypto ecosystem. Luca? Yeah, I, I think the key point is basically the ideal in the, in the crypto versus trustless, but that collides with realities, uh, those being regulation. You've got, you know, countries have their own um, anti-money laundering rules, etc. So to kind of move from decentralized finance, permissionless networks, which are trustless, uh, to a fundamentally a trust-based economy. Um, you can't port the one to the other, basically. Like if you, if you want an interface, it's gonna have to, it's gonna have to respect the realities on both ends. On both ends, and and basically, what this this liquidity protocol allows is is the protocol itself doesn't have any bias. So the the protocol doesn't kind of uh, express a negative sentiment towards users which don't want to KYC or financial institutions that participate, um, which want to take a lot of risk and basically. Um, will engage in transactions where the the counterparty is not identified. So, so the the protocol itself doesn't have a bias, and it it effectively allows participants to set their own terms. So, I think in spirit, it's very close to to what Bitcoin, um, kind of the foundational principles of Bitcoin. It's it's just more realistic. Right, I think they use the one example which is so pertinent, which is like if you buy something with Bitcoin um, trustlessly, right? So if you just send someone some Bitcoin for a product, um, you have no recourse if the counterparty doesn't end up sending the product you just bought with Bitcoin. Right, like the whole idea of crypto payments is premised on trust. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna buy a yeah, that, on, on a random website with your crypto if you don't feel very sure that you know this is a reputable seller and you're gonna get delivery of the product. Yeah. So th so then I, I my connection cut out slightly. So correct me correct me if you had already mentioned this aspect touching on that trust element. 
how do, can you dive into like who the particip- who the main participants are going to be? I know you mentioned sort of wallets and um, financial institutions already uh, last week. Who are the main participants that are partaking in the protocol and how is social trust or this trust element, how is that manufactured within the protocol to make, um, to sort of align with what the description you just, you just, uh, you, you made there? So tr- trust on this liquidity protocol, again, the protocol itself doesn't set any requirements. So you could have a small subset of this ecosystem which have their own social norms, right? Uh, their own kind of um, way of, of interacting. Um, and in that sense, you know, you can issue your own credentials. So it's, it's kind of social agreement underpins um, trust in this liquidity protocol that that being said so so you you say engage with with a group of people and effectively you have one institution in the middle somewhere and you're all kyc right so that that's one realization of this liquidity protocol effectively you're all kyc you've got data sitting behind your address um your bid asks between the institution, the institution gets the data it needs to kind of fulfill the regulatory requirements it's based in. That's kind of the simple case. It it all depends on how much risk you're willing to take as a participating institution. Um, Financial risk in terms of, uh, you know, fines from the regulator for, for facilitating terrorism, for example, um, I mean, that, that would be the extreme case, right? Otherwise, you've got the standard kind of default risk um, in your counterparty, right? You've got, the, you've got the interesting example, like if you, if you're, if you use this liquidity protocol to um, purchase cryptocurrency and you effectively say, you know, this is, I'm going to bid $100 for X cryptocurrency and then the participating financial institution sends you that cryptocurrency uh, because you've delivered um, proof of uh, proof of payment, um, but maybe that API is effectively delayed, and then you know you've taken custody of the cryptocurrency, but the financial institution uh, doesn't receive payment because because of a default effectively on your part. So I think I, I guess the key point is like vectors for participating in this liquidity protocol are endless. Um, the, the limit is effectively your imagination. I mean, they, they kind of have a blueprint here, um, but really it's a blank script. And I mentioned that in the last episode. I think you can make out of this whatever you want. And what do you, Luca, what do you imagine? Because obviously we, we've mentioned these um, sort of credentials that wallets and financial institutions sort of require. Wallets put up these, uh, what they call verifiable credentials. Um, within the decentralized identifiers that's attached to your wallet within the protocol structure. And this is how sort of information exchange, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of propagates through the protocol. What do we, my, I was wondering the whole time, like what do we imagine these credentials are going to be like? Is it something we we sort of deal with in the analog world? You know, if I was going to a bank, sort of am I am I producing 18 months worth of bank statements, a proof of address, or do, 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 do okay, so do you think there's going to be something like crypto native uh, as these credentials, or is it going to be something as simple as like these bank statements or proof of address? I think the, yeah, I think the whole point is, is effectively bridging the gap, 
right? So you you need some way to have these these real world let's let's use that phrase real world credentials transferred on chain, so that you can act so that you can act permissionlessly. Again, though, there's the point that it's up to you to what extent you want to flesh out these credentials, right? So you could you could say you could just use your 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 address. You could have uh, in the most basic form you could have absolutely zero um, weight, right? And and you could try and and interact. The the chances just that your your counterparties, your list of of uh, willing counterparties, will just be quite limited. And again, you know, you, you mentioned okay, maybe crypto native credentials. Sure, you can have those. Uh, like your your rank in Axie Infinity is is a good example, right? Like if if you're transacting with the, someone based, uh, you know, on 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 the leaderboard, right? Like a, a very well known Axie player, um, then that that might carry some weight. But fundamentally, I think this this liquidity protocol addresses the tradfi DeFi divide right and and for that you know you'll need the standard documents like regulation is what it is you know we've got all our social contracts in the real world we've got our you know our id cards address like you said um and and we'll need that and, and I, I think the the key point really is that it's up to you so you can so we the between the three of us we could issue our own credentials Right, but the the thing is, obviously, to incentivize counterparties to interact with us, you know, you need broad based trust in these credentials. Right, so you could see something happening, like you know, banks moving into. So, I mean, the idea is to connect banks, right, the financial institutions with users of this this liquidity protocol. So, you could definitely see banks starting to offer their customers these credentials as a service. So right, I, and, and the first first yeah. So I just want to ask then, because because obviously what they what they're structuring to do here with the whole narrative of social trust is incredibly interesting and quite unique to the space. You know, bringing crypto trust based again rather than trustless. But what I'm the one thing that red flags for me is the idea of the fee structure. So so obviously, if you want to stay true to decentralization and, you know, not necessarily expose your personality, like who you are or sort of not identify yourself completely and you want to keep some degree of anonymity, you know, obviously your your off ramp or on ramp, you know, entities are going to be limited to people that only want to deal with guys that don't want to necessarily give up as much information. But surely the fee structure, as they state in the paper, is that you know, for those that want to give less information, your fees will be a lot higher. And for those that want to give more information, your fees will be a lot lower. Isn't this just another way of glorifying the KYC mechanism? Well, I think to your point, um, be because this is a global protocol, uh, competition is unlimited. So if, if you think about it, if you've got a bunch of institutions which are charging ridiculous fees, uh, to process transactions from um, individuals or institutions which which are unwilling to provide kind of extensive enough data that they can do their due diligence on their end. Um, you know, you might have an institution on the Cayman Islands uh, <laughs> doing all the settlement, 
Um, yeah. So, so I think you know the, the risk of kind of this crazy explosion of fees and it, it kind of being an inefficient network overall is mitigated by the fact that it's a global network and that anyone there's no gatekeeper. You don't need to be a chartered yeah. bank necessarily, provided you can <laughs> you can manage manage the legal headaches on your end. And you could even distill this down to peer-to-peer. So if you, Galactic Q, find like a community of like-minded individuals, like obviously on average, there's a certain kind of like cash position between everyone, right? Like maybe sometimes some people are short cash and you swap crypto to the people that have a surplus and you kind of just balance things out on a peer-to-peer basis, right? Like you can have your own marketplace with your anonymous friends and, and you can just r- balance cash between between the, the group of you, right? Like maybe one of your mates is in, uh, is it Belgium <laughs> where they have all those ATMs? Yeah. Hungary, was it Hungary? <laughs> Isn't Holland, it? Hungary as well? Holland, Holland, as well. in Budapest. Budapest just implemented yes. a bunch of crypto ATMs all over the city. Yeah, so, so I think you were telling me, John, it's like basically if you, if you want to cash out of crypto, uh, doing it with those uh, ATMs in, in Hungary is an option. I mean, you could think about kind of a situation where, you know, some people are in Hungary and, and you just kind of balance out the kind of net cash position in your community. So you're, yeah. not, you're not forced to interact with institutions. And I think that's the beauty of it. You can use this protocol however you want, right? And, and the burden is on the institution to offer kind of to bid on your business, right, in a way that they, they, it makes it worthwhile for them. You know, like if you have an institution which is, which is just kind of not transitioning in kind of the way you, you would want it to, right, it's, it's, it's slow, it's, it's inefficient, um, you know, it, 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 what it, the institution requires kind of real-world settlement to take place before crypto is transferred, to mitigate its own kind of uh, risk risk exposure on this trade, uh, like you'll just go to someone else or a different institution for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it's, That's, it's incredibly it's incredibly interesting, you know, running through this white paper and and like kind of looking at the unique point of view that Dorsey is taking here with with you know the whole narrative of TBDX, and I think it's definitely going to be the optimum on ramp off ramp mechanism in the crypto space. Um, and tying that, like you said, Steiner, with, you know, that DeFi, TradFi integration. Um, so it's, it's definitely something awesome to check out and to keep an eye on. And I'm going to be very interested to see when it goes live and to actually use the platform and, and, and see how the features work with the, you know, the whole social trust and messaging features to, to you know, execute these on-ramps and off-ramps. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it depends on how they execute, right? If they execute this and create a beautiful product that's secure and actually brings the users and, and, and I think, um, you know, then it's going to, it's going to be a serious force to be reckoned with, you know, amongst the Uniswaps, the other, the other DEXs, um, you know, crypto native DEXs, if you will. Um, but I think also it's super fascinating as well. I just wanted to tie the thread because I feel like, um, you know, what Luca, Luca, you said that, Obviously, this whole thing then become can become a peer to peer mechanism. I can transact with you or or Q or whoever else on the other side of the world, so I don't have to actually go through these financial institutions. 
it sounds like the institutions are just bringing then the firepower to the whole exchange. They're bringing the liquidity um, and in, a, in essence, securing the network and yeah, bringing, bringing liquidity to it, which, which I think it, if, if I'm on the right track, I think is super valuable because it just, it's, it's sort of like the a solid foundation, I imagine. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But then, but then the thing is, right, they're going to have to strike a good balance between, you know, letting this thing becoming the next, uh, just like a, I don't know, a, a digital version of the New York Stock Exchange versus like a true decentralized exchange that lives in the crypto world. I think, I think, would you, would you say that's a challenge? That That's going to be a challenge. Maybe that's a, that's a risk. Um, getting, I mean, I, I think getting sort of uh, battered by regulation and red tape on the institutional side. I mean, I think it will. Like, you know, institutions, I mean, namely the SEC will do everything they can to slow down the, you know, adoption of cryptocurrencies because it threatens the financial like, system that, you know, the Fed and the SEC use. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's creating this efficient integration between this digital asset world that the SEC classifies as super risky, you know, and the current traditional like institution. So it's, it's, I definitely think there's going to be a flood of regulation that comes to this. And I do think that the SEC is probably going to have something to do with that. But, you know, the way they're setting it up is TVDEX is kind of just a facilitator for everything. So it's on the, the entity, like the entity that, that becomes you know, one of the main players in the space, it's on their behalf as to what regulation they want to deal with. Um, so I do think there's going to be, it's going to be quite an interesting execution process um, once things go live. You're looking at, at, at the end of the day, if they comply, the regulators can't do anything. Like th this, is, this is what fascinates me as well, is the, the fact that this white paper is written from the point of full compliance. Jack Jack has run two public companies with the, the uh, combined market cap being over $100 billion in the public markets. He knows all about compliance. And I, I guarantee you, like, that will be a It has to be a focus if you bring in institutions. So I think that's that's big. That's I think that that's big just with the attitude they've written it um, in. Yeah. They sort of know their place from the outset. Um, yeah. Just to add, just to add to that, I think I mean the protocol itself doesn't need to comply to anything. F fundamentally, yes, it's a yes, yes. it's it's permissionless. It's de it's decentralized. It's just not entirely trustless. Well, the, the protocol is just a facilitator. It. It, exactly, just so a facilitator. Like the, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like the institutions will have to will have to fend for themselves, right? Like the. And I think maybe just one thing to add, one one thing which might give us an idea of what this could look like. You already got these these protocols or, or projects, rather, which are kind of offering something along the lines of a, a a KYC locked up behind your wallet, so that you don't have to give all the platforms you interact with your your passport, for example. Right? It's called fractal protocol. Um, and basically, the idea is you KYC once, um, and then using this wallet, this special wallet, uh, you can then, by default, KYC when you log into or connect to certain platforms. 
so it's an interesting project definitely recommend uh recommend you guys have a look at it if you haven't yeah for sure i i think um just in terms of on-ramping and off-ramping is a key theme within the white paper in terms of getting into from fiat to crypto and crypto to fiat um it's beautiful i was gonna ask um luca uh, to give a your guy and tradfi description of the on ramping and off ramping, but I think it's it's beautifully just to save some time and to squeeze in some other points. It's beautifully laid out in the white paper. There's great, there's two great diagrams about on ramping and off ramping, and they give a great description with an example. So I think I would point people to go read that and just to understand the process. It's beautifully laid out and and very simple actually to understand, um, even though it may sound daunting. Um, and I think this is just testament to how the white paper is written in the over, in, in in an overall sense. But I think, guys, just to end off, like, what are the? I, I think we touched a bit on like the balance between becoming being a crypto native platform, but also balancing the interests of the institutions that they want to bring in. Um, can we touch on like just highlight maybe one or two other risks, like maybe the biggest risks to this project? Um, what could cause it to fail? Um, just to give people an, an idea of that that sort of context, what are the downsides? Well, I mean, the biggest one, people need to sign up. You know, if it doesn't get the user base, then, you know, largely it's not going to survive. And from the institutional side, institutional side, obviously, you have to you have to get institutions on board yeah, and, yeah. and provide provide the firepower, the liquidity. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. The, if institutions don't sign up, I mean, it's kind of going to be a one-sided protocol, um, and ultimately, it it just won't won't survive. I mean, institutions are going to have to deal with a host of different regulatory standards depending where they operate and who they're interacting with. So it's it's going to, in my mind, it's going to be quite a complex situation. You know, when when institutions first sign up, and over time, it'll it'll become more efficient and more or, you know more smoothed out but i think initially it's going to be quite a tough barrier to entry uh from a regulatory point of view for a lot of the institutions and uh luca any other any other Matt. risks from your side that are that are quite prevalent to point out well i think um to to build on uh galactic q's point there I mean, fundamentally, these institutions are good at gatekeeping. You know, drip feeding their customers yield, for example. It, it's kind of, it, it's it's just a different world to decentralized finance, quite literally. So I think if, if you've got to get these institutions which are incentivized to lock their customers into uh, you know, maybe a crypto platform which is which is hosted by the actual institution, right? Something like Deutsche Bank coming out with their own kind of crypto trading solution, uh, crypto payroll solution. So, so I think these institutions are all incentivized to lock in their customers um, because then they have those assets on their book. Um, so to, to convince these institutions to participate in this permissionless network is, is going to be a challenge, I think. Yeah, because they're one degree removed from, TBDEX is one degree removed from these banks, um, their their own um, sort of rails and, and infrastructure. That's, a, that's actually a great point. Um, but yeah, just to finish off the section, I, I think uh, we, we've, we've laid out some good context for the white paper, a good primer for people to go and read. Guys, what 
so so I, I actually saw a video um from a clip from when Vitalik went on uh, Bloomberg um talking to Emily Chan and he basically it, I think she asked him about this why I think it was not necessarily like I think it was before the white paper was released but Jack had basically sort of made his intention clear that he was going to build some sort of decentralized exchange that involves Bitcoin. Vitalik is skeptical of, was skeptical of it in the interview. He doubts, he, he doubted Jack's ability to pull it off with Bitcoin because basically, you know, Bitcoin isn't, um, is not superior to Ethereum in that regard. Um, what do we, do we think one, Jack will pull it off and two, is Bitcoin going to be front and center? Is the smart contract going to be built in the smart contract that's involved in the protocol? Is that going to be like built on Bitcoin with the latest, um, you know, util utilizing the taproot upgrade or is it going to be built on Ethereum? Um, and yeah, can Jack pull it off for you guys? Final, final thoughts, John's. Sorry, I was talking and I realized I was still on mute. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, I was about to say, you guys are both on mute. So I just had radio silence. Apologies. Um, largely, I think from Jack Dorsey's side, I think he will he'll pull it off. I mean, he's got a ton of experience, you know, building Square, building Twitter. There's, he's got a lot of a lot of experience in the space, you know, working on on things that kind of disrupt the space, you know, something that that's not necessarily been done to a full extent before. Um, so I think if there's one person to do it, you know, he's definitely one of the better candidates to to pull something of this entity off. And Luca, thoughts? I, I think it's, you know, the the white paper was beautifully simple. And I think it's also, it, it's a reflection of a, of a well-framed uh, well kind of idea and vision um, but I mean, the depth is just not there yet. And I think it's so early that it, it's really hard to say, right? Like what, what it will look like in the end. Like, I definitely think that Jack has the ability to attract the talent to make this possible. Um, but I, I think it's at least from my perspective, it's too early to say Ethereum, Bitcoin, um, this chain, that chain. Nice uh, neutral take there to end off. Uh, well, I'm sure with any updates that come in, I'm sure we'll cover it on here. Uh, we'll definitely be chatting about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, after this white paper and all of the stuff that's happened, then Square goes and, you know, and after Jack left Twitter last week, uh, Square goes and rebrands to Block, <laughs> basically consolidating Tidal, Cash App, TBD, Square and uh, Square and Square Crypto, which is now rebranded to Spiral itself. I don't know if you guys caught on to that. Um, I only looked yeah. that today. Um, yeah, and basically, you know, in a similar move that Meta made, consolidating Facebook, Instagram, and uh, all of Zuck's favorite apps um, into one company, Block has done the same. What do you, I mean, does this, it, it's a point even asking you guys the question, because I mean, this is just the, the sort of, you know, the pinnacle of Jack making his moves into crypto, clear and i know we said last week that yes jack's probably going to go full-time crypto as like a prediction and i mean does this not make it more clear surely 
Um, his intentions to spend all his time on, well, most of his time on crypto. I mean, I think this definitely does. <laughs> he's he's full, he's going down the rabbit hole. He's been red pulled. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's quite interesting. Block. Um, they don't refer to block as like purely blockchain. It's a bunch of. Uh, I think uh, what there were a bunch of different things they referred to, like their sellers on the neighborhood. Yeah, the neighborhood blocks where we find our sellers a blockchain block parties full of music, which is their you know reference to tidal uh, obstacle. Uh, obstacles to overcome a section of code, building blocks, and of course, it's, and of course, tungsten tungsten cubes is what they referred to in their press release. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you guys understand this tungsten cube thing? I don't get it. I, I don't. I don't get I don't it really either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've I don't seen know. a few photos circulating on Twitter with people posting posting the tungsten cube that uh, cube that they've bought. You know what? Maybe um, it's this. Uh, maybe it's this, hey? Because I, you know, I can't share my screen obviously on the audio. But my my meme for the week that I brought was, I don't know if you guys saw these floating around Twitter. I actually tried to find it on the on a website or anything. It must be on like Block's new investor page. But it's basically a deck of uh, the leadership team from Block, and obviously Jack's there. A bunch of other people are there. Um, you know, part of the main team of the, of the different companies, and instead of putting like a portrait picture they've taken everyone's faces and like superimposed them onto a 3d block <laughs> so like uh, i'm going to send you guys, i'm going to send you guys the link after this because because i didn't want to show you before the pod but it is the most funny thing and um someone uh, replied to the to the initial tweet um say <laughs> saying uh putting the image of jack uh and you know, like a Minecraft NPC character, like the block face, uh, or the and they said Jack yeah. Jack's got that Minecraft energy RN. Literally, it's the most. It's so true. This this guy's face is literally couldn't be more perfect to fit on a block. Like the one side of it, his eyebrows, his eyes, his lips fit perfectly <laughs> into the block. I thought that was hilarious. So maybe it's that. Maybe that's the tungsten. Yeah, that's I thought this is like the best thing ever. Um, and the whole the whole meme was that the the fact that uh, this is the team page for a $90 billion company. Um, like they're literally completely taking the piss and I love it. Best, best meme of the week. That's I'm going to send you guys this afterwards. Um, please, yeah, please, please. I, I mean, me for me, for, for me, like quite a, quite an interesting development in the crypto space. And what I want to view as a meme is OpenSea announcing that they're going to go public. I mean, yeah, John, you explain why this is a meme. Ex explain why this is a meme, though. So, so okay, well, just to give you guys some background. So the chief financial officer, Brian Roberts, left Lyft, which is that ride-sharing service. And they've now been employed as the chief financial officer yes, for yes. OpenSea. And OpenSea, in a tweet and an announcement, decided to announce a few of their plans for the future of the, co of the company. Um, and one of these plans was to go public. And as we know, you know, Brian, Brian Roberts helped Lyft go public and he's just been employed now. And his first call to action is to take OpenSea public. Now, what I think is a meme, yeah, <laughs> is you have, you know, over $27 billion of trading volume has taken place in the NFT space this year. 60% of that is on OpenSea and decentralized. 
which means that there's no KYC. There's none of that. You're, you're digital code on the blockchain and that's what you're known as. So it's completely decentralized. And OpenSea has that market share. They've captured it. From all the other competitors in the decentralized market space, OpenSea are the leading, leading ones. You've got Coinbase launching their centralized NFT marketplace in a few weeks. And you now have OpenSea that's going to try to compete with Coinbase for the centralized spot. When they already have the limelight in the decentralized space. So why, as a decentralized protocol, would you decide to go public and bring in a centralized governing authority to, to a protocol that's doing successfully in the DEX space, where you could just drop a token and stay true to decentralization, drop a governance token, set it, like become a, a DAO, and be ultimately community governed and community sourced. So, so the meme for me here is, the decentralized project is now suddenly going to be going public as an idea. And the pushback has been insane. And a lot of the tweets have just been tweeting OpenSea, not going to make it. <laughs> but that's hilarious, Jonty, because it didn't, don't people give that team a lot of flack as well for kind of just sitting on their hands? Yeah. Like they print like a million dollars every hour or something for the team. And they just, they haven't done much since launching, <laughs> launching OpenSea. I've seen like tweets like, uh you know they, they just they don't know how many islands to buy basically um literally yeah and and, and and i guess what's hilarious as well is if you go public somewhere i mean that that puts quite a big burden on you so you've got this tiny team which is which people make fun of for kind of sitting on their hands and now now they want to go public um and i mean i mean the other the other interesting thing here is that you know OpenSea as as a as a protocol, you know they've been they've been hinting at a rumored governance token airdrop, and now they come out with an official statement saying that they're planning on going public. It's kind of just like this tiny team doesn't really know what to do. And Brian Roberts came in here as like a a guide, or let's call him a wizard, and try to steer them to the to the traditional world. They have taken the crypto DJs must be going, must be raging, must uh, be raging. Venture funding, right? OpenSea. Yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah they're funded by um, a a one six c a sixteen z on there. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the maybe that's a big pull. That's the reason. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. But guys, I I think we're gonna have to dive into this topic next week. Though, let's uh, yeah. let's 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 jump into it next yeah. week. I think. I mean. My my final take before we pick up pick up on it next week is that the, is I this the red pill? Is this should, the red pill take? <laughs> I think that we should all do two things for the next week. One, lock in some trades on OpenSea in case they do decide to do a governance token airdrop. Or two, get ready to short OpenSea stock when it goes public. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Wall Street bets. Crypt. What's his name? Um. Oh, fuck deep deep fucking value he's gonna be all over this why you should all short <laughs> open sea on wall street bets oh yeah I well it. yeah i, I mean it. yeah I've, I've done my transactions on imx uh last week at the the wild safari mint so i'm gonna have to go do someone open sea now oh the integration to open sea is coming my place <laughs> yeah, love that love that love, love that <laughs> all right well um that's been a Another another episode, episode five, halfway to ten. Uh, that's uh, I'm treating that as a milestone um, of the Web Three show. 
apologies again for not coming at you on a Monday, but uh, we we renamed Wednesday to Wizards Wednesday. So hope hope that made up for that. Um, thanks, boys, uh, for for tearing <laughs> apart the TB Dex white paper. Um, hopefully, we will we, we're going to have a more. I, I think we made that pretty like unacademic though. We um, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be covering OpenSea and some more um, DGen topics next week. So. Yeah, thanks for thanks for everyone who who tuned in briefly to the live room on call in, um, and we will see you all next week. Bye, everybody.